And now we listen to God's word as it is taken from the book of Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look to God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry before because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel had come to me, and I have also seen their oppression with, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hebites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, 
please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, they will let you go. And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall, go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it was through your word and spirit that the heavens and the earth were created out of nothing. It was also through your word and spirit that the valley of dry bones during the days of Ezekiel came to life and formed a living and great army that stood before you. The Apostle Peter also reminds us today that we have been born again through the spirit, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Lord, we know your word is all-powerful and all-capable for transforming our lives and equipping us to submit to you in gratitude. Please continue to work through your spirit and through your word in our lives this morning as you speak to us. We pray continuously for our pastors so that each day they're wrestling with the biblical text in preparation for the sermon be a sweet exercise of faith that will result in you using them with great power for the edification of the body of Christ. We ask you all this through him who sits with the seven spirits and whose name is the word. Amen. Good morning, loved ones. Four months and one week ago, I drove into Grand Rapids, Michigan in my pickup truck loaded down with all of my long sleeve shirts and coats and winter wear, Texas winter wear that's not so good for Michigan winter wear. And I moved into the Krug's condo just about a mile or so from uh, the church here. My wife joined me a month later after she sold our home down in Texas, and she moved into the Krug's condo with me, having brought all of her winter wear and made her way here as well. I kind of knew the Krug's. It had been worked out from uh, Dr. Lafleur that uh, the Krug's were gracious in allowing us to stay at their condo because they were down south, and now I understand why people leave to head south during the winter, but they were gone, and so sure, they said, sure, they can use the condo, and so we moved right in, and Randy and I began to, uh, to dialogue each other with a few emails of what I could expect, and how to do this, and how to watch over that, and suggestions of not doing this, and other things, so I befriended my, my friend Randy. And then we moved into the house and uh, we saw pictures around the walls and just assumed that it was them. I mean, there was a great big travel trailer and 
This tall guy and this short guy were, or short gal were standing next to it, and they were gone in their trailer, so we assumed that it was Randy and, and Henny. And then when we would go to Chicago to visit our grandkids, Randy and I would trade some emails, and here's how you turn the water off and turn the heater down to 55 degrees, and he would give me this direction and that direction, and so we, we struck up a friendship via email. Last Sunday... I was standing, pulling my duty at the Welcome Center. Scott Gritter comes up and says, Hey, Bryant, this is Randy Crude. Oh, Randy! I embraced him like this. Uh, embraced him saying, Oh, man, it's so great. It's so great to finally meet you. On Tuesday, I was studying this text, and a knock on my study door, and the door opened, and she said, Bryant, my name is Henny Krug, and I just wanted to introduce myself. Oh, Henny, I said more eye to eye with Henny. I could hug her and thank her for their wonderful gift of allowing us to use their condo. I, I got to know them via email, but now I have this wonderful uh, hope and promise of getting to know them in a deeper relationship. Now, now I stand with them face to face. and Now I have all summer until they leave again to get to know them even better. And I have absolutely every confidence of knowing that that is going to be the reality. I wonder, friends, who, many, or who of us among here would say that that kind of describes our relationship with the Savior? Who many, who of us here would say, how many of us here would say that, you know, I know the Savior, but really all I know is just kind of scratching the surface. I know things about the Savior instead of really having a relationship with him, instead of actually getting to know him. But friends, here's the good news of this passage that's before us that we just heard, and that is God delights. God is faithful in revealing himself to us through his word and by the power of the spirit and drawing us into a covenant relationship with himself whereby we get to know him greater day after day after day. That's what's been happening to Moses for lo these past 40 years. Now in one chapter, chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, Moses has gained 80 years of life. You'll remember a couple of uh, weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter 2. And God spared Moses. God, God was providentially, as we said, providentially caring for all that he had created by working in and behind the scenes. Even when it didn't look like God was in control, God was still in control. And he spared Moses. He put him inside the ark or inside that basket in the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter found him and sent him to live with his own mother, to grow up with his mother before eventually moving into the palace. And he did for 40 years, as we read in Acts chapter 7. But then last week, Pastor Andrew walked us through the last part of Exodus chapter 2, whereby Moses saw a Hebrew uh, being beaten by an Egyptian and he killed the Egyptian and he buried him in the sand and then he fled after looking this way and that way he did this evil thing taking matters into his own hand and the next day he settles an argument between two Hebrews and they say you're not going to do to us what you did to that Egyptian last week or uh, yesterday are you you're not going to kill us and hide us in the sand as well Moses escapes, he flees, he goes all the way to Midian, and now as we read in Acts chapter 7, he's in Midian for 40 more years. So he's 80 years old now, in one chapter, 
80 years old. But for 40 years, he's been in Midian now, and God has slowly prepared him for the task, the commission that he's about to give him, calling him savingly to himself, and then a commission to go to Pharaoh and set his people free for this purpose, and that is that the people of God, the covenant people of God, might leave bondage, and they may go out, and they may worship, worship the one true and the living God. Friends, the main thing about Exodus chapter 3, listen very carefully, the main thing about Exodus chapter 3 is not Moses. The main thing about Exodus chapter 3 is not you. The main thing about Exodus chapter 3 is really not even deliverance from bondage. The main thing about Exodus chapter 3 is this, that we have a God a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God who delights in revealing himself to us, who is faithful in revealing himself to us, whereby we know him, we get to know him, we live in relationship with him, and we grow in that understanding day after day after day. He invites us to believe and then to belong into this covenant family, his covenant family as his covenant children. That's what he was doing for Moses. That's what he promises to do for you and me today. I want us to see that God reveals himself this way by asking and answering two different questions. It really breaks the text into 1 through 12 and 13 through 22. So the first question then, but before we get to that question, look at what God is doing low these 40 years to prepare Moses for this particular call. Look at chapter one, or 3 verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro on the west side of the wilderness and he came to a mountain called Horeb. Moses is a shepherd. We find that picture throughout a lot of places in scripture, don't we? Moses too was a shepherd, but Moses is about to be the shepherd of God's covenant people, bringing them out of bondage, out of Egypt, out into the wilderness for the purpose of worshiping the one true and the living God, for the purpose of worshiping Yahweh. So for 40 years now, he's been, he's been watching the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, which by the way, in 2.16 or 18, one of those, his name is Rual, same guy, in that context of that day, many men had two different first names. But he is using him, preparing him to learn how to shepherd sheep, nasty, stinky, stupid sheep, so that he can learn how to shepherd the sheep of God's people as he leads them out of, of Egypt. He takes them to the far side of the desert, a long way away from his father-in-law's home, and he brings him to a mountain, a mountain called Horeb. Now that mountain is not instrumental or influential yet, but it's going to be because Mount Horeb has another name, and that mountain is Mount Sinai. When we get to chapter 19 and 20, where Moses goes up on that mountain and he brings then, comes down with the law of God. Sinai becomes a very significant place. And we read about that through redemptive history. Not so significant right now, but God has brought him to this particular place to give him this wonderful call. And Moses responds to all of this preparing. It says that he saw a, a bush. He must have watched it for a while. He saw this bush and it was burning, but it wasn't consumed. So he thought to himself, you know, I'm going to go over there and see why this bush is burning, but it's not being burned up. And the passage tells us that when God saw that he had taken a step that way, then God called him from the bush, Moses, Moses. 
Now, I don't want you to understand that God is actually bound by or limited by Moses. He had to wait to see if Moses was going to do something before he did something. That's not what the passage is saying. What the passage is saying is it's giving us a beautiful picture that God had been preparing him and moving him along to the place that now he says, I'm going to go see, and he hears, and then what does he do? He hides his face. Because now he understands who God is and he worships him. It's almost as if the text is telling us he falls prostrate before him, hides his face because he understands that there is a God and he is not he. That Moses is not he. He's not God. And God says, Moses, don't keep coming towards me as he's drawing, as the, as the, the Hebrew reads there. Don't keep coming to me. Because there is a difference, there is a separation between me and you because I am a holy God and you are a still sinful person. So he says, don't keep coming, but the place where you're standing is holy ground, so take off your sandals. The first time we read in all of the Bible the word holy in the presence of God is holiness. Don't keep coming because there is a separation between you and me for I am a holy God that's drawn you savingly. To myself. Friends, you know, sometimes I think we are prone to do, and it's true, this isn't a bad thing, but sometimes we talk about how God comes and meets us right where we are, and that's true, but I don't think that's what we read in this passage here. I think what we read in this passage here is that God brings us along. He brings Moses right to the place where he wants Moses to be. It's taken 40 years to prepare Moses, but God has been very faithful in doing all that was required and needed to bring Moses to this particular place for this particular person, a purpose, and that was to fall down prostrate, hearing his name, and to worship the one true and the living God. From this call now comes a commission. God is now going to be sent back to Pharaoh to tell him to let the covenant people of God go because God was not only going to be faithful in revealing himself to Moses, he was going to be faithful in revealing himself to all of his covenant people, all of those for whom the Savior would come one day and die. And so the covenant children of God, like Moses, like you and me, are called from something, slavery, bondage, to something, and that is to worship the one true and the living God. That's our first catechism, question and answer, one of the shortest ones and easiest ones for us to memorize. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we were created to do, to worship this one true and living God. So finally we get to the first question. God says, I have called you, Moses. I'm commissioning you to go to tell Pharaoh to let all of my people go. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I to do this thing? Now, this is not some existential question of what is man? You know, what is my, what is the, uh, all of the person, the, the essence of personhood and stuff like that? That's not the question. Moses is Moses is questioning the very fact as if he's the man. We'll read that next week when he talks about he needs someone to go with him who speaks for him when he asks or gets his brother to go as well. But look how God responds to that first question. He says in verse 12, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign that I have sent you. When you bring these people out of Egypt, you will serve me on this mountain. You will worship me on this mountain. 
See, friends, here's the good news, and that is that God was already, this is providential language again, that God was already instrumentally working behind the scenes. He was already preparing Moses for the task to which he had called him. When you bring those people out, it was already a done deal. When you bring those people out, then they too will do like what you just did, and that is you will fall down prostrate before me and you will worship me in the splendor of, your, of my holiness. Now, friends, listen. Isn't this the very place where the evil one loves to attack us? Just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, did, did God really say, nah, that's not going to happen? Doesn't that describe us many times? When something happens in our life, we do, all, we do our best to control it. We think if anything is going to be accomplished for my good, then I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to roll my sleeves up, sola bootstraps up, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to have to do something if anything good is going to come. And then I work, and I work, and I work. And then when it doesn't come, and continued suffering, continued oppression and problems, then what do we do? The evil one snatches from us the very idea, the promise, the certainty of knowing that God has revealed himself to us and is faithful to all of those promises that he has already prepared a place for us, a land flowing with milk and honey. You may be here today, and that may be exactly what the evil one is doing to you. You are living in a situation in your life that is unbearable, oppression, persecution. Friends, cling to the one who tells us in his word that he is faithful to reveal himself more and more and more. Embrace that one, the one who gives you that promise. Don't give in to the evil one, but embrace the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. Who am I? I'm the one, I am the one, what Moses should be saying, that is now filled with the presence of, the, of God himself, covenant God himself. You know, last week, Pastor Andrew said something along the lines of a, a bee-like sermon. Do you remember that? A bee-like sermon. Dr. Chapel, uh, Andrew and I went to the same seminary, and so we were taught by the same man, uh, taught to preach by the same man, Dr. Chapel. And Dr. Chapel would always say, do not get to your churches and just preach be like sermons because the world today doesn't need any more moralistic sermons. Just get out there and be like David. Just get out there and be like Moses. Well, don't just hear me say get out there and be like Moses because, friends, this is why you're already like Moses. <laughs> you're exactly like Moses. Look at what Moses did. Look at it the way he responded. God said, I want you to go, uh, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell my people. And look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, but. God said this, and then Moses said, but, but. And then in verse 13, then Moses said to God, if, if I actually go, you see, you're already like Moses. We're corrupt in every part of our being. We hear these promises. But this is good news, friends. Listen, this is good news because God had called Moses and now commissioned Moses. Moses understands that call and is responding to that commission. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden now he's sin-free. 
When you come savingly to the gospel, it doesn't mean now that I don't sin anymore. We wrestle with our sin over and over and over again because we're just like Moses, corrupt in every part of our being until the day of glory. That's good news for us because now it leads us to the rest of the chapter that gives us the second question. Look what Moses says. The first question was, who am I? And now the second question is, God, who are you? If I go to the children of Israel and they say, who is it that sent me? Who should I tell them? Who are you? Who are you, Yahweh? Now, isn't that interesting? If I go to the children of Israel and they ask me, his first fear is not the fear of Pharaoh. Wouldn't you expect that? That he would fear Pharaoh. But his first fear are the children of Israel. Here's why, I think. He's been gone for 40 years. He goes back and he says, guys, I'm back. Here I am. And now Yahweh, the great I am, says, come, follow me, and I'm going to take you out into the desert where you can worship me. And you can almost hear the children of Israel saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You left us 40 years ago. When the, when the going got tough, you got going. You took off. You fled. We don't know where you've been for the last 40 years. Probably living in luxury or doing everything. Uh, opposite of this oppression that we're experiencing, where were you? So his first fear are the children of Israel. But what am I going to say to them? That What am I going to say uh, is your name? Who are you that I should tell them that I've been commissioned to go and do this. And you see it right there. You've probably heard lots of sermons on it before. I am, verse 14, I am who I am. You go to my people and you say, the great the, the I am has sent me. You've probably heard sermons on this, so you know that this is in the first person, present, singular, that it is not that I was, uh, but that I am. It's, it's the continued eternal present tense for God himself. He knows no beginning. He knows no end. And there is this separation. That's why he says, don't keep coming to me, Moses, because this is holy ground. I'm holy. I am that I am. No beginning, no end. I'm not dependent on anything or anyone, God is saying. But Moses was dependent. Pharaoh was dependent. The children of Israel were dependent. You and I are dependent. And so he gives him the essence of who he is. I am the eternal, the eternal God. And from now generation to generation, I will make myself known. I will faithfully reveal who I am. I want to show you something, though, because you probably have heard sermons on the I am passage. But I want to show you something that it's easy for us to overlook. Four times now we've read something along this line. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We read it in verse 6. We read it in verse 15. We read it again in verse 16. And then we're going to read it next week in chapter 4, verse 5. Four times, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But look at the way the first one starts in verse 6. Look at it in your bulletin or in your copy of the scriptures. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of 
Isaac, or Isaac and the God of Jacob. But look at the other three. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, the Lord, then say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 16, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in chapter 4, verse 5, the Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. L-O-R-D, all capitalized, because the root word for Yahweh which is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God, is the same root word for the verb to be or I am. Here's what God is saying. I am a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who knows no beginning and no end, and I am going to reveal myself to my covenant children throughout all generations. How does he do that, friends? Look at verse 2. The first use of the word Lord, all capital L-O-R-D, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame in the middle of the bush. This is what we call the picture of the pre-incarnate Christ or a theophany where there is a visible thing for the presence of God. Like we'll read with the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, here is Jesus Christ, even on the pages of the Old Testament, before he took on flesh and dwelt among us, he appeared to Moses, and now this is who our God is. A covenant-making, a covenant-keeping God, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, Lord God Almighty, the great I Am. That's why in John, we read eight different times that Jesus says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. All of the I am passages because he's identifying himself to Moses right here in the Old Testament. Is that not a glorious gospel? What a beautiful gospel of how God has revealed himself. But if you're like me, Sometimes that's just not enough, is it? Isn't that sad? That God gives us this beautiful picture to Moses that we can read about today. But friends, if you're here today and that evil one is snatching away the certainty, the assurance of his saving grace, the effectual application of that grace in your life, if he's seeking to snatch that away because you're living under suffering and pain and oppression, then I want you to see that our God, Yahweh, is not simply a God who says, I am, but he says, I have and I will as well. Circle it. Verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Verse 7, I have surely heard their cry. Verse 7, I know their sufferings. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. Verse 9, I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you can bring my people out to worship me. Verse 12, I will be with you. 
In verse 15, I have observed, 16, I have observed what you, uh, what has happened to you in Egypt. Verse 17, I promise. Verse 17 again, I will bring you up out of this affliction. Verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt is not going to let you go, that he needs someone to compel his hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. I will do it. Verse 21, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Ah, what a beautiful gospel. There it is in the midst of that struggle, friends, when we are so prone to allow the evil one to snatch from us that seed of the gospel hope that's planted in us. What it is that he has led us to come to believe in the place in which now we belong as one of his covenant children. Don't let this evil one rob you of it because he says, I am, I have, and I will a sweet gospel. You can almost see Moses now thinking to himself, I understand the fire now. I understand the, 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 the bush that's not burned up because my people are experiencing all this oppression back in Egypt, but they will not be consumed by your grace, by your mercy, and because of your covenant faithfulness, your people will not be consumed. That's their hope. That's our hope. That we grab hold of this absolute certainty of knowing that he who began a good work in you will see it to the day of completion. You're in the hand of Christ, in the hand of God, doubly joined forever and forever, and no one can snatch you from there. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what he seals to us by the power of his Holy Spirit as the one who is the great I am. This is why our philosophy of ministry is all about a church that is inviting people to believe and to belong. To believe this gospel and belong in the context of the covenant community. Friends, listen. God did not call you out of darkness into his, the kingdom of his light and that's it. He called you out of darkness into union with your Savior. Christ now dwells in you, you in Christ, that double connection of whereby he takes my sin and gives to me his righteousness. He snatched me out of darkness, and now I live in the context of his glorious light, living in the one who says, I am the light of the world. Do you see it? Do you see it? The great I am. And the, the one that also says, I have and I will. He gives us more and more and more of his grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace. That is the beauty of this gospel. That we invite people to come and to believe and find their context of belonging. I had a very faithful God, a grandmother. I grew up with this grandmother. She died at 94 years old. We were very close. My grandmother, I called Nani, by the way. That was my name for her because I was one of four children, the only boy, three older sisters, spoiled rotten, and rightly so. And I enjoyed every minute of it, by the way, as well. But we called her Nani. And Nani had all of these cute little sayings, all of these little little pithy statements that we never, we call them nani-isms. 
because we didn't know what else to call them. And she had one that I'll never forget. I, I even say it from time to time, and that's this. She'll say, or she would say, now, Delbert, we know. And what she meant by that was we would be in a conversation about something and we would have some kind of a collective understanding. But the more we talked, the more we understood. And so we moved along in our understanding of what, what it was that we were talking about until we would start this conversation, we would grow in our understanding of it, and then she would say, well, now, Delbert, we know. We never knew who Delbert was, <laughs> but he knows. And now, Delbert, we know. But I know who Delbert is. You're Delbert. You're Delbert, friends. Because now you know. You know this God who has just revealed himself to you through his holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Now, Delbert, you know, we know, that he is the great I am, the God who delights in revealing himself and giving us more and more and more of himself. Now, Delbert, you know. Now, what are you going to do in response to knowing him? Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a beautiful gospel you give to us, the gospel of saving grace, whereby you call us to yourself. And not just simply stop there, but you effectually apply this grace to us and then you work it in our hearts and our lives. We are saved by grace and we live by grace. It's all about grace, 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 the finished work of what Christ has done for us. Thank you that we believe this beautiful gospel, that you have put us into a place of belonging in the context of this covenant family, brothers and sisters of Christ church. Grow us in this grace. May we encourage one another, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice as we live out this gospel together today and every day. Do it for your glory through Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen.